Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. In the last hour, I was going over uh, the details on some of the bills that are now law because six vetoes were overridden yesterday up in Raleigh. And uh, one of them was about uh, removing the kind of uh, compelled speech questions for employment, but also for student applications. Got an email here from Peggy. And she says, Pete, I heard you talk about the vetoes. It made me think of the three required short essay application questions for NC State. When my son applied in 2018, one of the questions was, quote, how will you contribute to diversity? Or maybe not those exact words, but something along those lines. And she is correct, by the way. I read that from the story. The UNC Board of Governors has stripped that now out. So they're not allowed to do that anymore. In 2021, She says, my younger son was going to apply. I saw the newer version of the question, so we decided not to apply because of it. I was wondering what your take is on the question. Well, uh, I went over it in the first hour. It is um, Democrats use it as a way to ensure that the people that are getting access to their church are believers. That's how they use it. And it, it most definitely affects your ability to either get a job or to Uh, be accepted at the school. The people reading it, they want to hear that you've got some sort of foundation in the religion before they will give you access to the church, where you can then continue your studies. Um, Yeah, and then she has the example of... Oh, so this is from from their website. NC State is committed to building a just and inclusive community. Right. Um... And so it asks you, what are you going to do? Which, of course, is like that's the Ibram X. Kendi call to action, right? That's the, you know, Ibram X. Kendi, you know, how to be anti-racist. And uh, I've gone in depth on this stuff over the years many, many times. But, the uh, you know, he says that you, you cannot be neutral, that you are either racist or anti-racist. That's it. Because if, you, if you're not anti-racist, then that means you are sort of lending support through silence to the systems of oppression. So you must actively be anti-racist, which means what? You've got to join him. So they, they, he presents this false dichotomy, which is, you know, I'm right and that other side is wrong, and you have to choose between just these two things. Good guy here, bad guy there. What do you choose? All right, so, um, so six veto overrides. We also had the big Supreme Court case yesterday, the U.S. Supreme Court case, and um, I caught um, Brett Wintable was on uh, his own show, as a matter of fact, yesterday with uh, Brett Jensen, and he talked about this, uh, the importance of elections and this ruling. Think in terms of the November 24 election cycle. And we may be in a position where the next president picks two Supreme Court justices. 
Clarence Thomas and uh, Samuel Alito are getting up there in years, and if a Republican wins, then the chances increase that they will um, that they may retire. So you got two seats that are going to be that could be available. You also have a lot of these laws that are getting passed, like one just occurred in uh, North Carolina yesterday, banning the mutilation of kids, or as the progressives call it, gender affirming, which it's not. It's it's denying, right? It's sex denying surgery. It's, and I'm going to get into that too. So if if that topic makes you squeamish. I'll do that in the next hour. But this is why this election is so important, because what the Republicans squandered last November right, has now led us to where we are right now, where you've got governors that, that are, you know, Democrat governors that are signing into law various pieces of legislation creating essentially, quote, safe havens for, for kids who want to run away from home and undergo, quote, gender-affirming procedures. I mean, think about it, like, in stark terms, what is that, what is that saying? Had we, not, had, had we not seen the results in the last election cycle, would Republicans have been in a position to stop some of this stuff from happening? And at a very real and human level, how many kids have now gone down that path that might not have otherwise been able to. And so when people on the left say, you want to stop these kids from, you know, having these, these procedures. Yes. Yes. Cause I, I believe you're harming them. And the more research that's being done, I've got one, uh, one such study right here. The more and more that the research finds that the underlying issue is mental illness and then comes puberty. There is a uh, in the brain. There is a rejection of this thing, and I don't like my body. I mean, that's that, that's what puberty was. You're awkward. You don't like the changes. And I don't want. I just wish it would go back. And maybe I'm that other thing, or maybe a tomboy isn't really a tomboy. It's actually a boy. You know? Yeah, she's not a tomboy. She's a boy trapped in a girl's body. And the argument is always: Would you rather have a? You know, a trans child or a dead child. That's that's again a false dichotomy. Which if you like, if I'm having a, a discussion with somebody and they start throwing out false dichotomies like that, I know that they don't they don't have an honest argument that they're making. So this case that was decided, this is this is going to. And I said this yesterday when I was talking with Dr. Andy Jackson from the John Locke Foundation. I said it seems like this is opening the door to a whole lot more lawsuits at the state level and the federal level, which means what? That the makeup of these courts is going to be supremely important, no pun intended, because as each of the cases work their way through each of the states and then through uh, after the state level, then they get to go through the federal system. And if it all ends up at the Supreme Court, at these various cases testing various election rules, they all go to the, the U.S. Supreme Court maintaining a constitutionalist and originalist court is imperative. 
So here's a piece by Richard Hassan, or Hassan, Hassan, I don't know. He's a professor of law at UCLA. He's the director of the Safeguarding Democracy Project. And um, he wrote this big piece at Slate.com. This guy's not a conservative, okay? But he sees what's coming. I mean, he frames it as how uh, Chief Justice John Roberts drove a hard bargain and he got the, the liberals to go along with him because he offered this sort of watered-down um, independent state legislature theory uh, escape hatch. You know, he basically pulls, pulls the escape hatch so, so we don't get the radical interpretation of it. And I'm not going to go into the details just about what is going to happen down the road because of this decision. And there's a tie-in to the old Bush v. Gore case from 2000. He says... The Supreme Court rejected an extreme version of the independent state legislature theory, which could have upended the conduct of elections around the country and paved the way for state legislatures to engage in election subversion. But after the celebration comes the inevitable hangover. And with all the hoopla, it is easy to miss that the Supreme Court has now set itself up with the with the assent of the liberal justices. The Supreme Court has set itself up to meddle in future elections perhaps to even decide the outcome of future presidential elections, as it did with Bush v. Gore, he says. See, so this is a warning. He's making it right now for the left, right? Hey, I know everybody's happy about this thing, but, you know, I'm not sure everybody realizes, you know, this court, with all of its, you know, fascists and such, they're going to be calling election law now. And I look at it like, well... At some point, the court is probably going to flip, and at that point, then they're going to be writing all sorts of other election law, and that's concerning to me, too. The extreme theory was that state legislatures can pass whatever election rules they want for federal elections, and state courts cannot constrain them even when they violated their own state constitutions. The court made clear that legislatures do not have this free-floating power. And that one must understand the legislature's power within the ordinary system of state government. Well, what does that mean? I think therein lies the rub. Oh, hey, real quick, before I forget, Carolina Readiness Supply is prepping for its annual Heritage Life Skills event. It's coming up in July, and you can learn how to be better prepared and self-sufficient in the event of any emergency. Things like homesteading, canning, water storage, radio communications, herbal remedies, home defense, fermenting vegetables, all sorts of stuff. This is what Carolina Readiness Supply does. For beginners all the way to the most experienced preppers, Carolina Readiness Supply can help. Get your tickets now at carolinareadiness.com. That's carolinareadiness.com. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? News Talk 1110-993-WBT. By the way, good news. Um, Putin is, quote, clearly losing the war in Iraq. So I, I, that's awesome, I think, Right. I mean, that's according to Joe Biden. He just said it on the tarmac over there. He was like, uh, yeah, Putin is clearly losing the war in Iraq, and he's a pariah around the globe. So, yeah. What? Wait, what? Iraq? That's our job. No, I'm kidding. Um, But he did say that. He also said it another time last night at a fundraiser. And for some reason, the pool reports aren't covering 
that um, until they got forced to do so. Anyway, back to this story from Rick Hassan at Slate.com. He says the, uh, the courts are now going to get even more involved in the uh, deciding of electoral outcomes. He says it's not all good news. In the last part of the majority opinion for the court, the chief justice got the liberal justices to sign on to, he just tricked them. Oh, he tricked them. He got them to sign on to a version of judicial review that is going to give the federal courts and especially the Supreme Court itself the last word in election disputes. The court held that, quote, state courts may not transgress the ordinary bounds of judicial review such that they arrogate to themselves the power vested in state legislatures to regulate federal elections. What does that mean? Well, says, yes, the states, uh, the state courts can get involved, but they can't get too involved. Like, we'll know it when we see it. You cannot transgress, you cannot violate the, quote, ordinary bounds of judicial review. Okay, so let's say the North Carolina Supreme Court, they wade into a case that has been brought before them and they decide an election outcome. And they, they that then gets appealed to the... Uh, to the federal courts, and the the Supreme Court then takes a look at it, and I guess they're going to go back and be like, "Um, well, you ruled this way, and you ruled this way, and you got involved in that case, and so this seems like it's within the ordinary bounds of judicial review because you've been doing a lot of judicial reviews of election-related laws and redistricting maps and stuff. So the state court here in North Carolina has been doing it a lot, so I guess we get to have a lot of judicial review. But in states that maybe... One party has controlled, so there hasn't been a lot of lawsuits and such. Maybe they don't get a lot of judicial review there. And so now the Supreme Court comes in and says, eh, well, you, you really hadn't gotten real deep into this stuff. So, no, you can't, do, you can't get into uh, this you know, particular lawsuit that's been brought now. He says it's going to give great power to federal courts, especially the U.S. Supreme Court, to start second-guessing state court rulings in the most sensitive of cases. It's going to potentially allow for a second bite at the apple in cases involving the outcome of presidential elections. Of course, everything through the prism of Trump. In the 2020 presidential election, for example, Trump allies raised this theory in arguing that Pennsylvania Supreme Court could not extend the days for the receipt of absentee ballots by three days in light of the COVID-19 pandemic. There were not enough of these late arriving ballots to make a difference in 2020 in Pennsylvania. But if there had been, according to the approach laid out in the Kavanaugh concurrence yesterday, the Supreme Court would have had to look at Pennsylvania court precedents to decide if the state court went too far in deciding matters under its own laws. And it easily could have decided the outcome of the election based on its view of this question. It was Clarence Thomas who points out how the test that Justice Roberts sets up is even more vague than the one laid out by Kavanaugh. And Thomas says uh, it leaves to the whims of federal judges. What are the bounds of ordinary judicial review? What methods of constitutional interpretation do they allow? Do those methods vary from state to state? And how about precedent, stare decisis, right? Federal courts, are they to review state courts' treatment of their own precedents for some sort of abuse of discretion? 
The majority's framework would seem to require answers to all of these questions and more. Yeah, there, there's, it's just like the problem with the redistricting standards and the rules. So, so much of the stuff is just undefinable, but you'll know it when you see it. So Rick Hassan, Hassan, Hassan from, uh, well, he's from UCLA. He's a professor of law there. And he is, you, you see him cited a lot of times in the legacy media outlets um, whenever uh, these types of, you know, uh, court cases make a lot of news, uh, particularly regarding election law. Uh, I think he actually, election. I think he does election law, f- election lawfare? No, that's no, lawfare. That's the second one. What's the, there's an election website. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, he, he comments a lot on election law and Supreme Court cases regarding election law. And so he's kind of seen as an expert. And what he is advising progressives on this is like, yeah, we did good yesterday by getting the independent state legislature theories, you know, uh, quashed by the U.S. Supreme Court. But in the end, he says liberals had to swallow a bitter pill without a word, presumably to keep a majority with the conservative justices and reject the most extreme version of the theory. The writing was on the wall at oral argument when attorneys defending voting rights in North Carolina had to concede that there was to be some judicial review when a state Supreme Court goes completely nuts when purportedly applying election law, you know, kind of like our court did. They're just making up stuff, right? We shouldn't have to always defer to the, I mean, if the state court goes rogue, do you get to then take that somewhere else to like to the federal courts? And if this and if the the state of North Carolina was successful, if those legislative lawmakers uh, or uh, Republican uh, lawmakers, the defendants, if they were successful in their argument, then what the federal courts never would have any say whatsoever, even with the rogue state court. But what Roberts left unresolved in his majority opinion, he says, is going to be hanging out there a new tool to be used to rein in, especially what he calls voter protective rulings at state courts, voter protective rulings like, well, you know what? Just send that absentee ballot whenevs, right? Rules like that. Rules like, hey, you know what? We need to extend the uh, early voting to uh, like 11 months before the election. And then we're just going to mail 10 ballots to everybody and get rid of the voter ID, you know, voter protective rulings like that. Every expansion of voting rights, he says, in the context of federal litigation will now yield a potential second federal lawsuit with uncertain results. It's going to be ugly, he says, and sooner rather than later, it could lead to another Supreme Court intervention in a presidential election. The Moore v. Harper case out of North Carolina gave voters a win today, but it sets up a Supreme Court power grab down the line. Yet another story. Yet another story to undermine confidence in the Supreme Court. By the way, Tim Scott running for president. And this is, you know, along the lines of what I said earlier at the beginning of the hour about how important the 24 election is going to be. And I've said this before. I don't make election predictions, nor do I predict jury trial outcomes. But I do look at the polling trends and the polling trend for the presidential nomination on the Republican side, it's trending more towards Trump. And in the general, it's trending more towards 
Biden if Trump is the nominee. I'm not telling you that's going to happen. I don't know if that's going to happen. You don't either. Nobody does, right? That's why they play the game, right? So we're going to find out. But this is what's on the line. This is what's at risk. Not just the appointment of judges, but also the bans on transgender surgeries and such. Right? All of those types of issues are on the ballot. And I'm looking at trends and I'm just asking you, is that is that juice going to actually flow once you squeeze it? I'm, I'm, I don't know. I always ask, is the juice worth the squeeze? And I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure that the people that are driving this car aren't <laughs> aren't driving us towards a wall, you know, because, um, look, I, I have I am I am under no illusion that I can convince people to vote for somebody over somebody else. I cannot. People have their own ideas. There was a great piece I saw. Um, I've got it in the stack of stuff. And it said a lot of people that are on the uh, Trump team, um, they're fans of his. They're, they're there for the show. Michael Graham, who actually used to work here at WBT, is now up in New Hampshire. And so they're, they're in it, right? They're in it. You got the candidates are going around. They're doing all the meet and greets and stuff. And up there, they take this stuff seriously. In New Hampshire, they're like, I want to meet all the candidates. I got to talk to all of them. I got to shake their hands. I got to, you know, see the cut of their jib, which sounds weird. I've never really understood that, but it sounds like kind of gross to some degree, but whatever. Like, they want to meet all of these candidates. And there is no persuading. And you got never Trumpers and you've got always Trumpers, right? And you're not going to persuade them. And that's my concern is that that same dynamic is also at the national level, at the general level, and you get Trump through and you're not going to persuade the never Trumpers. Because when it comes down to a choice between Biden or Trump, people pick the lesser of the, of the unpopulars because they're both unpopular. So they're going to pick the, the, they're going to pick, uh, pick the most popular of the unpopular, and that's Biden at least according to the poll, trend lines. And that can change. That can absolutely change. Tim Scott, I've seen it rumored that he's going to cut a deal with uh, Trump before the South Carolina primary, be his VP pick, and uh, that then essentially uh, clears the field and races over. If Tim Scott, if he's good for 10% and he's polling at now, if he and he brings that along for Trump, then it's it's all over. And and by the time we get around to voting, it's not gonna matter. I know, I'm just I'm just a ball of optimism today. All right, now you've heard me talk about them. Old Grouches, military surplus. They're expanding with more ways to get your hands on authentic U.S. military surplus items. Go to oldgrouch.com, check out the links for the online auctions for rare finds and the vintage shop. Unique, really cool items. From modern tactical gear to historical collectibles, Tim at Old Grouches is always finding new stuff. When I started the podcast at the beginning of the pandemic, my first advertiser was Old Grouches. If you enjoy the show and derive any value from it, I'm hoping that you will consider supporting one of the businesses that make it possible. Lots of gift ideas for that person who loves the military style for fashion or decor. There really is something for everyone at Old Grouch's Military Surplus in beautiful downtown Clyde and online at oldgrouch.com. 
U.S. Senator Tim Scott, his long-shot presidential campaign is making it easier for Democrats to confirm judges because he's missed four judicial votes so far. This according to Axios, including one that would have forced Vice President Kamala Harris to cackle her way to breaking a 50-50 tie. After publication, a Scott campaign spokesperson provided a statement stressing that Tim Scott was, quote, not the deciding vote for any of Biden's recent nominees. Right, so what's the problem if he's not there? He hasn't been the deciding vote. Um, Scott was the only senator to miss Dale Ho's confirmation. He's a civil rights lawyer, so I'm sure, you know, completely fair right down the middle on all this stuff like RBG was. Um, But that's up in New York's Southern District. Tim Scott was campaigning in Iowa. Ho was opposed by Republicans, which, yeah, I mean, figures, uh, largely because of his opposition to voter ID measures. (laughs) See? Right down the middle on this stuff. Really, I mean, just in line with the general public, the average Joe Blow citizen, Ho is right there with Mr. Blow. Scott was also the only senator absent for Casey Pitts's confirmation. Collins and or uh, Susan Collins and Lindsey Graham, they joined all the Democrats in voting. Yeah, so that wouldn't have affected that vote either. Um, last week, Kamala Harris secured civil rights lawyer Natasha Merle's confirmation to be a federal judge in the Eastern District of New York after she broke a deadlocked vote. As president, Trump was laser focused on stacking the courts with conservative judges and justices. He filled three vacancies on the Supreme Court. And 11 of his 30 appointees replaced Democratic appointees in his first two years, according to Brookings Institute, the lefty think tank. So I like this framing by Axios that Trump was laser focused on stacking the courts, but nowhere in the piece do we hear anything like Biden is stacking the courts. We know this story, right? This story is about how Tim Scott has missed these votes. And oh, my gosh. He's allowing Biden to get these judges through. He's Biden's not stacking anything. He's just getting his judges through, and Tim Scott's letting him do it because Tim Scott is not at the sessions to vote where his vote wouldn't even have stopped the judge from getting the appointment. I'm unclear what the purpose of the story, Axios, is, except bid Tim Scott. Rob, welcome to the program. Hello, Rob. How are you? Fine, thanks. How are hey, you? Good. What's going on? Just a little bit of thought. Um, with the possible Trump-Biden rematch, what I'm thinking is that there are a lot of people that, to me, just seem wedded to the cause on the left. And if you look at the polls and it shows 67% of us are living paycheck to paycheck, many earning six figures, how long do you stay wedded to a cause that isn't working for you? Well, if um, it, it, I mean, if you're a true believer un- until the until the end, I mean, there, there's no there's no getting there. off. I mean, that's my question. I just can't imagine voting for your own misery slash uh, demise. Well, that's what the left accuses the right of as well. The left says that uh, Trump voters vote against their best interests as well. But if you look at the economy that we lived under mm-hmm. and are standing in the world with no new wars and uh, Russia and Czech, China not 
flex in its muscles. I just can't imagine anyone would go back and say from Trump's term that it's worse than it is now. Right. But so so he, so just like you're having a you're having a uh, an inability to understand why somebody would vote that way. They have the same inability to understand why you are voting your way. This is the and this is my point about. Yeah, but I'm not getting hurt uh, by the economy. I'm not. I understand. Rob, the grocery Rob store I'm not arguing trouble. Rob, I'm not. Uh, th- th- yeah, that's that's what I'm trying to say. That when it is impacting you that badly, mm-hmm. that you are literally a paycheck away from disaster. Mm-hmm. And you look at the administration that's put you there. I understand, Rob. You can say it again. I, yeah. I understand what you're saying. What I'm telling you, though, is that your inability to understand that is the identical inability the left has to understand why you still support Trump. And that's the problem is that these numbers don't change. I was talking about this yesterday, that that there is a ceiling and a floor for both Trump and Biden because everybody knows these guys. There's no there are no undecided voters at this point. Right. Well, I would say that there are some true independents. They're less now than there ever have been. I mean, it used to be that you had 40 in one camp, 40 in another, and you fought for 20. Mm-hmm. Now I would say it's more like you're fighting somewhere between five and maybe 10 on the high end. Sure. Right. But I don't think, but, but again, the name ID, people know these two men, they, they're known entities. There's no unknown part of it. Right. And so what you want them to focus on is the, um, uh, is the financial side, is the economic side, and what they're focusing on are different issues. And so they're not so they're not going to come over. And this is the problem, like particularly for uh, uh, for Republican-leaning suburban women. They, they are not interested in voting for Donald Trump. They won't do it. They didn't do it last time. So, like, I don't know how you yeah, win back they the people. They were hurting in 2020. Right, Biden so you hadn't right. taken a wrecking ball to the economy. And what I'm saying is, that if you look at the two things that drive most voters in most elections, it's the economy mm-hmm. and uh, do we have relative peace in the world? Right, and, and it didn't happen in twenty two, but it didn't happen. But it didn't happen in twenty two either. This and, and that's the first sort of warning sign. I think that's a flare. I appreciate the call, Rob. I think that's the warning flare. Is twenty two last year? Those things obviously were not enough. The Republicans were expecting way better performances, and they didn't get them. So. Maybe they're not voting on the economy anymore.